Welcome to Breaking Free Authentically, the podcast where we explore what redefining relationships looks like through a sex-positive lens. Let's kick shame and guilt to the curb and really start living a sexy, authentic life. I'm passionate about normalizing out-of-the-box ways of designing relationships. There's nothing quite like finding your tribe and experiencing the freedom of being completely yourself without judgment. I'm your host, Kareen Bedard, your sex-positive relationship designer, and I'm here to guide you in creating the relationship you desire, whether that is a more open one or simply a more empowered one. Join me every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to enjoy the newest episode. Well, welcome back to Breaking Free Authentically. This week, we are on episode 67, and this will be part one of two of a mini-series called, Is Polygamy Allowed in the Bible? Today, my guest is former pastor Raymond Harris, and we talk about his deconstruction, the deconstruction of his faith and his beloved scriptures and his belief system. Raymond went to Bible school to learn how to study the Bible and teach it effectively. During the conversation, he calls himself a logician, using logic and hermeneutics to interpret the word of God. He is so logical that without these tools, he would be stuck in only using logic. So these tools really helped him to learn how to effectively interpret the word of God and be able to study it. So as a pastor, what do you do when someone in your congregation asks you if polygamy was allowed in the New Testament? Well, listen to this two-part series about questioning what you've always known. If you grew up in the church, this conversation will be refreshing and eye-opening. Questioning my faith and my programming was one of the most difficult things I've ever gone through in my life. It was scary and frustrating. I felt lonely and isolated from everything I had ever known. It's hard to comprehend how challenging it is to have your whole world, everything you've ever known, come crashing down around you. Unless you have been a part of a fundamentalist religion, you have no idea how much bravery this kind of investigation requires. I wanted to have a two-part series really delving into the deconstruction process and what that looks like. I know that these kinds of conversations helped me so much when I was going through this difficult journey 15 years into my quote-unquote perfect Christian marriage. I was doing everything I was supposed to do, playing by the rules, and my world came crashing down when everything changed and I had to evaluate my faith. Raymond still loves to study the Bible and quote several verses during this enlightening conversation. He says, I have navigated away from the professional business arena. I observe life, reflect, meditate, and participate in day-to-day life, primarily interacting face-to-face with individuals, providing personal relationship and spiritual insights and general life guidance. 
So grab a warm mug of something yummy and get cozy because this is a long one, but it's so interesting. I hope you enjoy it, and if you resonate with any of this, please reach out. It's not easy to go through this alone. It's why I do what I do. I'm so passionate about breaking free authentically, so I thought it was a great way to end 2023. Part two will come out next week, and then we will take a couple weeks off for the holidays, and we will be back the second week of January with the episode I know you've all been waiting for, episode 69. This would not be a sex-positive podcast if we did not do something special for episode 69, right? I will be bringing back one of my hilarious guests for this episode, so stay tuned. Enjoy this conversation. We will be right back. Please visit our website at www.breakingfreeauthentically.com and subscribe to our mailing list so you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave a review on Podchaser by clicking the link at the top of the page. That would mean the world to me. Finally, I'd love for you to join Breaking Free Authentically, our private sex-positive relationship community on Facebook. All the links will be posted in the show notes. Enjoy the show. Do you feel like you've been sold a fairy tale when it comes to sex and love? Why isn't it working? Why am I not fulfilled or satisfied? Why do I have a deep longing for more? Maybe you've had some of these thoughts. Did you know it's not your fault? That's right. You've been brainwashed since childhood with disempowering beliefs about sex and relationships. This is known as the mono mindset. If you're tired of feeling stuck, you're ready for Breaking Free from Conformity, the eight-week program where you will learn how the mono mindset has set you up for failure in relationships, why you think of sex as wrong or taboo, why you judge yourself. You will finally learn how to have empowered relationships with confidence and success. Many of my clients have said, Kareen, I didn't know I had choices. I thought I needed a partner to feel complete. I thought I was supposed to suppress my desires to have a successful relationship. What if you could learn to love yourself and your desires without guilt? Well, you can. With Breaking Free from Conformity, the eight-week program, shifting the subconscious programming that is keeping you stuck. It's not your fault. You weren't given a choice. It's time to break free and start living your life. To register, go to offers.kareenbedard.com forward slash BFFC for breaking free from conformity. I can't wait for you to find ultimate freedom and create an empowered relationship for yourself. Well, welcome back to Breaking Free Authentically. Today, my guest is Raymond Harris. And I met Raymond on Facebook, actually. He responded to one of my comments, and we have a, um, a mutual friend. And so this is how he came to be in my world, uh, through recommendation from a friend. And I was like, hmm, there's something about this person. I think there's like a sort of a similar similarity to his background that we could have an interesting conversation about. Raymond, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am excited to kind of pick your brain about your story and sort of your, 
I'm going to say your, can I say your deconversion story? Would you say you've deconverted? Oh, I have deconstructed. Deconstructed, deconverted, reconstructed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like I've often said, like I rebuilt my worldview from the ground up. Um, Yeah. And um, stripped away, like just did a lot of investigating to recognize what had I been taught that held up under scrutiny. And that's, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it was a devastating process in a lot of ways. Emotionally, it, it wreaks havoc on you. It really does. Probably one of the lowest I've ever been in my life because it's like everything that I had been trained for, everything that I held to in my life, every foundation that my life was built upon was coming crumbling down. It, it's a huge thing you got to navigate through. And it, and it's not something you can talk about with the people around you, right? Because all of a sudden you're questioning everything in your world and the people that that are around you are looking to you. So I was in leadership, I was a worship leader, I was very involved in the church mm-hmm. and I led uh, ladies groups and, and Bible studies and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, in my mind, I was like an authority of some sort. And so to be like questioning anything when you're in a position of authority just is, is so shameful. <laughs> yeah. You, and you feel like all the eyes are on you. Yeah. And, and you're like, everybody's looking to me in some way and they see me as this way that I've put on this mask and projected, right? Because in the church, the more spiritual you are, the more holy you are, right? The more and, perfect and, you are. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you often project this, like, I've got it together kind of thing because yeah. you have Christ and you have the knowledge and you have the you know the things and, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So therefore, you know how to manage life. That's the perception and that anybody outside of that is lost and doesn't have the answers. So if all of a sudden you question that and you feel like you might not have the answers or you question the answers that you know that you know that you know to be true, right. all of a sudden you're like, um what who who can i possibly talk to about this i'm going to be rejected right. for sure and you so, are yeah so i'll share with you some of my background yeah yeah that's what i was going to ask you okay because uh, you stated that you were in worship leadership mm-hmm. okay so when i was a young lad my mother was teaching me about god and having trust and understanding the Bible. My dad was over here, not in a in a bad way, but my dad was very, he leaned more agnostic. Mm. He was more scientific. I can remember us sitting down watching shows like Cosmos and stuff like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my dad was, why is this happening? Where is this going? I, I want you to think about this stuff, contemplate mm-hmm. on these things, have an answer for it. My mom, she grew up, in the same religious house tradition that I was trained up in, mm-hmm. she did not see or have difficulty with it. Yeah. I'm that's hers. But as I was growing up, I, 
I was in the youth group mm-hmm. and I was part of the youth group leadership. When I was in my 20s, I was having youth group functions. We were having Bible studies. Mm-hmm. So I was in, I don't want to call it the machine. It's just the, that's the process of my yep. thoughts at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm processing everything through that. And so about the time I turned 30, I start having different things occur to me. And I'm like, okay, like one day I, I just totally lost my shit with my family. And I just beat the living hell out of something. Mm. I didn't hurt them, but I hurt them Mm -hmm. because I see their faces and I'm like, okay, something's got to change. And it had to be me. Okay. So I remember that day, like it happened yesterday and I went in, I went in the house. I went all the way into the bedroom. I locked all the doors and I cried like a freaking baby. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's where things started changing for me. As I was navigating away from that moment, I start looking at things, but I'm also trying to put myself right mm. with stuff and trying to make myself <laughs> upright, if I can call mm-hmm. it that. Can I ask and, a quick question? Yeah. Uh, can I can I be a coach for a second here? Sure. Um, did you did this sort of like outrage or whatever come from like a like an internal? Did you did you feel like there was a cognitive dissonance happening for you inside, like in terms of your beliefs and what you not felt? at that time? Okay, so where did where do you think that this rage or whatever came from? Like, well, being that I'm in the position where I am now, I can look back on it. Yeah, yeah, and I can see that there was a tremendous amount of other dynamics that were okay. at play. Okay. It wasn't just me. It was the situation. It was the environment, which was parental influences, ecclesiastical okay. influences, yeah. social. And so I've had to really deconstruct all this. So a so lot I of can, pressures on you, would you say? Pressures well, that didn't quite fit yet? Or, or, or misunderstandings yeah. or miscommunication. Okay. The inability to achieve the movement forward, whatever that might have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so it get, it reached a breaking point for me. Yeah. But okay. it wasn't necessarily about your beliefs at this point. Not at that time, okay. no. Okay, that's what I wanted to clarify. Just like, just yeah. a general like self-reflection. I need to that's be right. a better person. I need to like figure some shit out. That's correct. Okay. That's where I was at that okay. moment. Okay, yep. And so from there, I start moving forward, trying to to reorient myself, to think better and to act better. Mm-hmm. And from there, I became like a, you know, Bible class teacher. I was giving devos and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're in that leadership, they expect you to have your shit together, right? Know what you're doing and all these kind of things. The perception of perfection. Well, I'm going to say yes, but I don't think that they understand it that way. No, 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 absolutely not. But it is this huge pressure. It makes you put a mask on. And not really be real with yourself sometimes. And it's it's the initial undoing, but we don't know what's happening. But I didn't have that until later. Okay. Okay. So when I'm working through this particular moment, I'm still in the theology, yeah. the mentality yeah. of where I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to understand those pieces. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. 
And because I didn't under, because I was seeking understanding of those pieces, that's why I, I started attending uh, Bible classes. We had those like Bible studies on like a Tuesday night or something. We'd have a whole group of us get together and we'd eat dinner and we'd, we'd chit chat and then we'd open the Bible and we'd talk about it and then we'd argue. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to argue the scripture from what I thought I understood. And so I would go home pissed off. Mm. Okay. And it's not, uh, I was not pissed off at them. No. I was pissed off at not being able to understand. And I had uh, reached a point where I'm like, forgive this expression. Fuck this. I'm tired yeah. of not understanding. Yeah, yeah. So things navigated where I could go to a Bible school. And that's when I started getting tools of how to study the text. Mm-hmm. Anything mm-hmm. from knowing it's poetry versus a personal letter or mm-hmm. a congregational letter. Mm-hmm. And you're understanding the difference between a person speaking from first person point of view versus trying to quote something. Mm-hmm. And these were things that as I was growing up, were not uh, presented to me as important. Mm. So when I started seeing the text through a different skill set, I began to have a navigation away from certain dogmas I had been given. But the reason why I was able to do that comes from my information technology training. Mm. Okay. I was trained up in logic. so everything had to go through a falsification test. If this condition is true, then this must be. Mm-hmm. If this condition is not true, then what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. And so all of this crazy logic showed me that logically it made no sense. Mm-hmm. And then I'm reading the text and I'm seeing so many styles of writing, mm-hmm. persons and voices through the text. Like, Peter presents something from his point of view. Mm -hmm. Paul does it from his point of view. Mm -hmm. John does it from his point of view. And then you can take that and go all the way back to the books of Genesis, Exodus, all this kind of stuff. So I'm not downplaying the text because I still hold it up as just under sacred, meaning I, I don't hold the view that's the typical view of the text, but I hold it in high regard. And, so, but they don't accept that as a valid place. No, because it's the infallible word of God. Yes. Like, if, that's if, like if in this denomination, like, I don't know what denomination was it. Mine but, was Church of Christ, but it it's a very specific side of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and mine was like, you know, um, when I lived in the States, it was Baptist churches. When I was in Canada. Um, it was brethren assemblies and, and it was very much like studying verse by verse from the pulpit kind of thing and really like getting into the text. But, um, it's interesting that you say like the more that you like, we're not taught to scrutinize the text. You're not permitted to. You're not allowed to know because that's like maybe it's, it's almost sacrilegious because you're questioning God. So if you're taught that it's the absolute infallible word of God. And then you go and test its validity, then you're absolutely not believing that statement. So yes. it's designed to keep us in this like faith loop. I that agree. Gets us not to think outside of that. And that keeps us safe. And now looking well, in, it's a great way to keep people. 
I am in agreement really. with your thought, okay? But I also think that the reality is that people are, just as they are in different relational maturity mm-hmm. and personal maturity, there are people at different spiritual maturity, okay? And there's people at different lingual maturity, yeah. Yeah. okay? So I don't think the church is malevolent. But I do think no. it's, it's misinformed on some things. But I do know malevolency sets in the church. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking yeah. about the typical congregant who is trying to understand these. A lot of these people don't. I'm not being insulting. Okay? No, I, I, but I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Many yeah. of them are functionally illiterate. I I agree with you. Um one of the things that I struggled with the most being in the church, I didn't have doubts about anything, any of my beliefs, but I found that the conversation was so shallow in a lot of ways. Right. And I'm a deep intellectual thinker. Mm -hmm. I'm not as logical as my ex-husband was. He was much more like methodical like you in this way, which made the process of like deconversion, like just studying all that was so interesting because, you know, learning like um, cognitive styles of of looking at information and stuff, which we're not taught to do because we're taught in the church. We're taught through the lens of faith. Yes. And I think the the good thing that's happened in the last 60 years or so. Is the psychology that has developed in the sense of how are you perceiving something? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Now, this, in my opinion, this is just me speaking. Mm-hmm. This is a relatively new concept to humanity, but it's important in the sense of how do you perceive yourself? Mm-hmm. And you can see that there are people who are introduced to psychological things and those who are not. And you can see the difference in how they, interact with a uh, a topic mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so i am never going to hard fast judge someone who doesn't have those skills Mm-mm. because i didn't have them Mm-mm. okay but and, i was the person who was wanting more and let's be honest like one of the one of the beautiful things about the church is there's just a general loving vibe in the church in general and it's it's the blissfully unaware yeah ability to be blissfully unaware and it not matter because you just trust that you're doing the right thing and that you're right. taken care of and so there's no need to question things right because it's your reality as you know it like if and i would have never been presented with firm contradictions or things like that, I would have never done the research. I would have been happily, blissfully unaware of, of more and, and this need to kind of investigate. Um, but when I was presented with things that made such logical sense that I'd never heard before from someone that I completely respected, yeah, I was like, shit. Yeah, I have to investigate whether that's true or not, because my whole future rests in the balance of this now, because now I'm potentially unequally yoked. You're right. 
Right. Right. Right. Now, like I might be on my own as a mother trying to educate my children in the church, but now I have someone that potentially doesn't believe the same things and, and someone I respect and always went to for guidance. And now we don't think the same. And I was just devastated. Right. And I thought this person doesn't do anything lightly. They don't make any decisions lightly just because like, they're not a rebel. That's not why they're doing this. And so it like, took all the reasons away for me of why someone would do this. Like why someone would question before is because they want to be sinful. They want to be a heathen. They they don't love God or they don't love other people. But when I was trying to get that way too. Right. right? Different than what we've taught ourselves. You're the one justifying your actions. You're the one who is trying to do the escape clause to use the to use the pejorative, you're the Pharisee, you're the bad person, you're the one that Jesus was talking about. Exactly. And it's like, it's so, that's when you start to see the control that you were just completely unaware of before. And again, it's not malicious control. And and I know that, quote unquote, the world will say, oh, religion is so harmful and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, when you're in it, there you are not you are not intentionally harming anyone you are not you, the last thing you want to do is control people you are simply living the truth that you know of the word of god and trying to make sure that people do not go astray because that is the worst thing so it's done from such a loving place where you yeah like you yeah, believe yeah. that so much. And so when when I deconverted and and I couldn't play the piano at church anymore, and one of the elders couldn't even look me in the eye because I was like the devil all of a sudden because right. I didn't agree, it just hit me and I was like, wow, like the need to protect to protect the teaching is so much stronger than the actual love that we have for people. Which goes over to the whole concept when Jesus says, and when they kick you out of the synagogue, remember they kicked me out first. Now that's a paraphrase of the statement. Yeah, yeah. But I had to really let that set on me. But here's something that I found, and this is a counterpoint and the balance to the ecclesiastics. Here's what really sucks. Every organization and I've ever tried to understand does the same thing as the church Mm -hmm. okay i don't want to identify them but the issue is whether it's ecclesiastical or Mm non-ecclesiastical each group is doing it according to their conscience Mm -hmm. they're doing it according to their heart and so if you were to bring up a question here i don't know if you're a fan of star trek or not i am i quote the movies all the time okay (laughs) And in Star Trek five, this is where Kirk and Spock and McCoy go out to, they follow Cybok out to this planet, right? Mm-hmm. This is where Shakari and, and where God's supposed to live. And they meet this entity and Kirk goes, excuse me, what does God need with a starship? If you are God, mm-hmm. why don't you know certain things, right? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I am the one who will go, uh, no, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Okay. And so when I'm navigating through it, I am such a logician. I'm falsifying things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Only that which stands true can I accept as true. Mm-hmm. So when I navigated through Bible school, they gave me the tools to evaluate the text, which I will be forever grateful for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until, see, I graduated Bible school in 20, 2006. And then I did not have a question that really challenged my thought process on marriage and relationship until mm-hmm. about 2009. Mm-hmm. And that's when the church asked me if polygamy was acceptable in the New Testament. I told them that I know what I've been taught, but I'm going to have to go study it. I went and studied it. Then I gave that answer to my girl. Back up back up for one second here. You were a pastor at this point. Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. So you graduated from Bible school and became a minister or a pastor, uh, yeah. as people people know. Whichever title you want to give it. Yeah. The guy who's in the pulpit delivering the lessons. Right. So you would study the Bible and deliver teaching and messages on right. the Bible, training people. How in- to investigate the text. Okay. All yeah. right. And I was I was the guy, love him or hate him, I was the guy who was being willing to get in the pulpit and raise the bullshit flag. Yes. Okay. So okay. you were and- you were allowing your congregation to ask questions. Yes, I was. Oh, that's so rare. I love that. I love that. Okay. And so when I was conducting Bible class. They really hated, not all of them. Some of them really, truly appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And these were the people who were seeking the additional stuff. Okay. I, I would go in. I did not do, if you're familiar with Bible class, they usually have a page. It's got the outline. We're covering these points. Like you're going through a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And somewhere in Bible school, I was just like, I got the idea that, okay, I if, the, if I'm not supposed to meditate on what I'm going to say, I'm, I'm referring to scripture, but I can't remember where it is. But Jesus tells them not or one of the apostles tells them not to be concerned. The spirit will give it to you. Right. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact passage, but that's what I'm loosely referring. So when I was giving these Wednesday night devotionals, one night I got up and I, I, I told my girl, I said, OK, here's my start point. Here's my end point. I have no idea how I'm going to get from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. And at that point, she was just like, you have got to be out of I'm your I'm going to let I'm the like, spirit lead. Right. So from there, I went into Bible class and I did not, I did not structure a class. Mm-hmm. I might go in, okay, I need a verse to start with. I need a topic to start with. And that was only because if they did not answer my question, then I had a place to go. So when I started class, I would go, what are you struggling with this week? Mm-hmm. What is it that you confronted? How do we need to find a, a helpful answer on how to address these things? Mm-hmm. And that kind of took on its own life. And there might be three or four or five different dialogue structures taking place within the class. Mm-hmm. Some people really, they just, hook, line, and sinker, so to speak, went into it, taking it, chasing it, walking away from it, having what they needed. And other people are going, pointing fingers, going, 
he does not know how to teach a class, right? Mm -hmm. That's just the way it works. It doesn't matter the organization. Okay, because you know if you go into certain business meetings and you don't have your agenda set down, they think that you're violating the whole way in which you're supposed to do things. How dare you come in here and go off the cuff? You can't, what's it called when you can't ad lib? You can't improvise. Fly by the seat of your pants. Yeah, I'm like, how dare my, whole, you? my whole life right. is flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah, same here. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm in flying by the seat of my pants. I have been trying to go, oh, okay. So this person knows that person. They connected. I was making connections just last night about certain things. <laughs> but sometimes you don't make the connection until you walk and you experience it. And you turn around and look, you go, wow, okay, that makes total sense. But that's not what I thought it meant. Mm -hmm. So when the church asked me the question about polygamy, and it was a Bible class question. Okay. Of all places. This was not private, you know, coming to the minister's office and right. asking, you know, th this was out in the front of everything. So I told him, I know what I've been taught, mm -hmm. but I'm going to have to go study the material. Mm -hmm. I went and studied the material and I presented the what I found to my girl, to my lady. And she was like, nah, -uh, that can't possibly be true. And so she went and did her studies and, you know, it's a little emoji about the mind blown. Right. Mm -hmm. So I take my answer to the congregation. What an uncomfortable moment that was. Oh my God. <laughs> and I said, well, yes, it's permissible. And, and well, the results were the expected results. And, not in my house kind of stuff, right? Well, I can grasp that, but you wanted to know, I'm telling you what the text says. Mm -hmm. And so where did I get my major answer from? It's actually 1 Timothy 3, when it's talking about the qualifications for the congregational leaders. Mm. Okay. Remember, I'm a logician. Okay. Mm -hmm. Logic cannot make it universal. It doesn't, the particular does not apply to all things. If he wants that, then he has to meet those qualifications right there. What is it? The fifth or sixth word says, if I come from a programming background, this means he has to want this position. Mm -hmm. If you have a congregant man who does not want to be a bishop, then none of these things apply to him. But the church doesn't teach it that way. No, it wants a leader of the home or, or everyone should be aspiring to these qualifications. Right, right? right. So it becomes a misapplied text. Now, do I think that these are qualities that a man should have when you're, you know, it, it look, you can see that he's not given to wine. He's not a brawler. He's not greedy. So these are good things that a man should divorce himself from, right? In the sense of if he was a brawler, he's no longer that way. If he so, was greedy, he isn't that way, right? One of the things he's is ma married to the husband of one wife is one of the things, right? That's correct. That's the biggest one when we're dealing with permitted relationships, right? Right. So 
is it good for him to have one woman? Well, yeah, because as soon as he starts attending to the needs of the congregation, the congregation is called the bride. Exactly. So you're automatically in a, I'm going to use the word to facilitate the discussion and to create chaos a little bit. You're now in a bigamous relationship. And let's just define polygamy for people. Polygamy and polyamory are different. Polygamy is defined by being married to more than one person. Yes. Man or woman, there's no distinction. It's just having a marriage to more than one person. And that is technically illegal in the U.S. and Canada. Correct. Technically still. But you can have as many girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever friends as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and polyamory, the difference is many loves. You you can love as many people as you would like, but you're not technically married to them. Correct. There is a legal distinction between the two, um, but polygamy is is very, very, very common in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book. um, Oh, what is it called? I'll think about it. It's okay. (laughs) Oh, it's a really good book. And it's called something, something texts, but the word text replaces the word sex. So let me see if I can come up with it. I'm going to, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. All right. No worries. (laughs) But uh, you would love this book. I think that you would be, and it's really, it's written by a female pastor, which that was like bad too. Right. Right. Um, it's written by a pastor and um she she was taking a look at all the texts and basically looking at the texts to talk about sexuality and mm-hmm. how we don't even look at them that's correct and we don't really investigate them and we kind of skirt around them especially for yeah, the and- pulpit they don't get talked about it's a As taboo it topic. Yep. And it's always addressed clinically and ecclesiastically. So let me tell you uh, something <laughs> about Matthew 19. Okay. Because <laughs> in Matthew 19, I was doing this study here recently. <laughs> this is just funny to me because this is not anything that I would have expected. Wherever it says getting married, he who marrieth another, right? Okay, Matthew 19, 9, shall marry. I I love doing this. I'll take the Greek that's sitting in the text and I'll go to like Google Translate. The Greek word is gameo. It's a Greek word that gets translated as marry or wed or anything like that. But in the first person, you put gameo in there. You're going to be, you're going to find this laughable. It says I'm fucking. (laughs) So this word gameo you, now you take this word that's translated by Google into the text and you literally present it as it's Google translated. This verse now has a completely different attitude, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, hmm, okay, this is fascinating, right? But how would you ever present that in the pulpit to the congregation? So yeah, how does it see- read translated? How so, did, well, read it. Read it both ways. Read it like just the English from the Bible. In your, well, in your the version. King James, the King James is very uh, ecclesiastical, 
And I say unto you, whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. Mm-hmm. And whosoever marries her that's put away does commit adultery. <laughs> and I and this is using the Google translation, right? For only this one word. And I say unto you, whoever shall put away his woman, that 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 Greek word is gune, it could be woman or wife, but I I I translate it as woman. So should put away his woman, except for it be for fornication, and fucking another commits adultery. And I'm just like, okay, you know, for whatever reason, that stands up to Jesus being a, a friend of publicans and sinners, because I think the guy talks street. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, funny. <laughs> you know, but that's my own little take on it. Now, um, you know, you're going to um, talk to someone who does Bible study. They're in the church and they're going to tell you that I'm full of shit and I'm a heathen and all this kind of stuff. And you go, just put the word in Google Translate. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> that is so interesting. And that really like even applied to like divorce. Like yes. if you've slept with someone, mm-hmm. then if you marry another, then that's just sin. Yeah. And or- and so like these little messages permeate our programming, permeate yes, they do. Our, mm-hmm. our shame and guilt cycle when it comes to sexuality. Correct. And, and that's because the church, look, I, I want to applaud the church in one way. I do think that looking at what God's ideal could be mm-hmm. is a laudable thing to do. Having a healthy relationship is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Having a healthy relationship between the husband and the wife, the man and the woman is a good thing. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do we facilitate that discussion? Well, there's theology that goes into it, which I am not going to address. But even the Jewish side of the house denies polygamy, even though polygamy is what founded the nation of Israel. No, right. <laughs> okay. And it boggles my mind that this takes place. So the the church, though, does a really hard and fast teaching. From the beginning, it was not so. Pound the pulpit, mm-hmm. you know? And you're like, yeah, I get it, but Eden's gone. So what are we to do? Yes, but Jesus pulls you back to that moment and you're to do what he... Okay, so does that mean I'm supposed to be like him, according to the text? I'm not supposed to have a woman? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the other thing is, is if I'm in the garden and I'm supposed to live in the garden, then that must mean that I need to be naked and gardening in the nude. (laughs) What At what point is he addressing the whole concept of marriage and divorce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I stand in opposition to a lot of folks. He's not prohibiting taking an additional woman. He's saying, okay, I'm going to be very guttural and I'm just going to be deliberate to this because this is about men. The whole section here is about men doing shit correctly. He basically in street talks going, look here, motherfucker, (laughs) if you're going to take her, you treat her right and you treat her well. And if you're going to take her and fuck her, then you do it for her entire life. And don't you sit there and get mad about it. Yeah. Okay. 
Because now, especially in that culture, she was wasted and no good to anybody once she'd been defiled. I'm I'm loosely agreeing with you. It's like but I mean, that is like the and and it was like sort of the high horse that that the the New Testament church would stand on in terms of like the the Greek goddesses and the the sex temples and stuff. They wanted to disassociate themselves so much from sexuality because they were outside of of God, you know, and, and they they and didn't want to be I'm in agreement with you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make a distinction here on the historical timeline. Mm -hmm. Okay. When Jesus and the apostles are teaching, mm -hmm. all of those men are Jews. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a Roman-occupied Jerusalem, mm -hmm. but we know from the Hasmonean dynasty, Maccabees, these kinds of instances, mm -hmm. that the Israelite men did not inherently want to do what the world involved around them would do. Right. So, yes, there's that separation. But you get into the 300s and then the church becomes more using the terms in the New Testament, mm -hmm. Gentile. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I'm not upset with that at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because the good news. And is for those who aren't better. like biblically trained, Gentile is non-Jew. Correct. The other nations. Okay? And the Jews were God's people, which is why there's still shit happening thought. right now. Right. Like. But that's what right. that's what this whole thing, Palestine, this always revolves around is that the Jews are God's chosen people according to them. Uh, yes. According to history. Actually, yeah. And yet even what they would call the Tanakh, which is the Israelite biblical canon, which runs from Genesis to Chronicles, 22 books. And so it, it is the foundation for the Christian Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But even the Tanakh says that God is the God of the entire world. Mm -hmm. So there is a little bit of difference in what God expects of Israel, mm -hmm. theologically, practically. Those, But those rules do not apply to the other mm -hmm. nations. Right. And actually, that becomes a focal point in the New Testament. And Acts 15 talks about that. That's at Jerusalem Council. Mm -hmm. Basically... The council is led by James, who's the brother of Jesus, and he says, we're not going to bind on the Gentiles who are turning to God, the Torah. They, I know it's translated law. It's namas in Greek. And namas is a translation for the Hebrew. So when you're a Jewish person and you're in a Jewish setting, law is referring to Moses. Loosely to the whole Tanakh, but it's referring to Moses. So he says, we're not going to bind on them these things because every Sabbath Moses is read in the synagogues. Mm -hmm. So they write a letter to the Gentiles, stay away from these four things and everything's going to be hunky dory. And it says in the next 15 and the Gentiles go, yeah, baby, I'm OK. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the rejoicing is, right? Uh -huh. OK. And then you get down into Acts 21, I think it is. And Paul goes to the temple at the behest of James to make a vow to prove that Paul himself is still teaching the traditions to the Jews, but he's not binding it on the Gentiles. And this is within the text and nobody talks about these things. Also, there, there came a point where now it's 
I was always taught the Jews rejected Christ. Yes. And so now yes. it's the time of the Gentiles until he yes. returns. Right. And so now it's like, get the message to all the Gentiles and save them all. Um, yep. Because he's closed the hearts of the Jews. Yes. So they won't respond to Christ and become born again Christians. So you've got your like, oh, Jews that are. Christian that have messianic Jews. Yeah, messianic Jews or, or Jews that believe in the Messiah that he has come right. and they're not waiting for him anymore. Um Correct. but they most of the Jews think it's like a a, a spiritual thing like their the king is going to be more like a king but Jesus to them was was just a person. It's, it wasn't like he well, was he, a king that Yeah, and he's a rabbi. Him. John calls him a rabbi in the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. And so this rabbi comes along and he's ch he's challenging the schools of Hillel and Shammai, mm -hmm. which are huge influences at the time. Mm -hmm. And then then you have over in Romans 11, which is the the grafted in vine and Paul talking about how the Gentile believer, you know, the Gentile, because that's yeah. how the King James has it, yeah. should understand their position and. This is where I don't like going because you talk to someone who is in the ecclesiastics, they're always going to have a very specific point of view about what this text means. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and argue with them to disagree or persuade them because mm -hmm. that's not my job. I'm just telling you that as I have studied the text, the text in English is not inherently conveying what the text is meaning you've seen princess bride right mm -hmm. i don't think that word means what you think it means <laughs> I'll, I'll avoid getting into all this discussion because i could rabbit trail for hours i know but so, let's let's just say that at the end of the day mm -hmm. there is definitely a drive and this is societal like you were talking about like businesses it's not just religion if we can get people to conform to one way of thinking or to a programming of sorts and get people to behave in a certain way, it's much easier to control the population. And it's not necessarily maliciously done. It's like it's done in order to keep things contained and keep some sort of order and whatever yeah. and predictability because we're meaning makers as people and we, we want clear outcomes and we want to know what's expected and we want to know what this means. And this means this and this and this and this. So at the end of the day, basically what I talk about all the time is that we are taught to conform and we are designed to want to conform because we're designed to want to fit in. We all want to belong right. somewhere. Right. Correct. So if we conform, we inherently belong. Correct. If we don't conform, now we're potentially an outcast or we risk being judged. We risk being shunned. We risk Correct. being kicked out of this community where you feel like you belong, which is what we all want at the yes. end of the day. We do want to be accepted. Yeah. Everyone wants to be accepted. So 
the the difficulty is is something like um let's say governmental regulation of marriage well government itself is constrained because of its bureaucracy and the number of things it has to facilitate look at the amount of effort they go through just to settle a monogamous situation mm-hmm. Can you imagine if the government tried to include itself in a polygamy situation? How long would that trial take? How many lawyers would you have? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it automatically becomes more complicated. And by necessity, the government restricts certain things. Now, the question is, why does it restrict it? You will have a thousand different speculations. But my opinion is government has to limit what it can facilitate. It has to control its resources. Yeah. And it can only do so much. Right. So it has created the marital document in order to be the default legal mechanism for people to be granted legal access to each other. Mm -hmm. If you don't obtain a marriage certificate or license and file it, You're required to write contracts, powers of attorney, all these kinds of things to have legal access to each other. All of this stuff is legal, but the general population is so not, I don't want to be pejorative. It's just that legal ease is complicated. Mm -hmm. You have to know what a clause means, where it applies, where it doesn't apply, and lawyers are expensive. Yeah. And a lawyer who knows their shit is worth their money. It just becomes a facilitated thing that helped most people in the most common situation. Mm-hmm. But you and I don't live the common situation. Mm-hmm. And the church does not know how to address the uncommon situation. Mm-hmm. So their advice is limited. Their counseling is limited. And it's not because they hate people. It's just that they just don't work in that sphere, if that well, makes I- sense. They they haven't been taught that there's any other option either. Like I'm going to agree, but that's society as well. Oh, exactly. And I say all yeah. the time, like, you might not be religious, but the societal programming is informed by the religious programming. In a sense, because that's where we get ethics. Yes. 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 And so if you're going to go against the traditional religious views of relationships, you're going to enter into territory of, is that ethical? And judgmentalism. And, and yeah. And so if we can keep the thing that we all mostly all desire, again, if we can make sexuality off limits or bad or wrong or create shame around sexuality, we can control a whole society of people in a sense, just by shaming and guilt. You know, we can control women by slut shaming. We can control so many parts of society by keeping this still in the realm of sin, whether you believe in sin or not. It is all throughout society. Okay. Can I give you an example that might might, uh, help? When I was a young guy, my dad bought me a mini bike and bought me a go-kart. And the reason why he did this is he wanted me to learn how to drive and ride. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because when I got into the car, he goes, I know it's a dangerous place. He had friends who had died and all this kind of stuff. He was teaching me how to survive because this was before airbags, before crumple zones and all this kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, 
I learned how to drive. I knew how to get out of slides, put it into dangerous situation, control the car. But I'm driving out here on the highways, and this is during the 80s, and it's still 55 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. I can drive 110. I've been doing it on a scale system for years. Mm -hmm. So I had gotten out there, and I was being the bad boy because I'm breaking law. Mm -hmm. Well, they want everyone to drive a certain speed. They enforce the speed limit, but not the people who are driving in the wrong lane. These things bothered me for years. But the analogy is 90% of the drivers don't have the skill that I have. And because of that, you have to facilitate the unskilled, the unaware, those who are not capable of getting themselves out of trouble. So is that a negative thing? Well, it is to me. Fucking hell. Let me drive 180. I don't give a goddamn that somebody doesn't have the skill set. I can pay attention. But the law goes, you, sir, are a sinner. I mean, (laughs) it's the same thing that the church does Mm -hmm. on certain things. I am not sinning just because I broke your law. Your law is not written for me because I have to pay attention to everything going on around me. But the typical driver is eating their sandwich, drinking their soda. On the phone, or back in the day, they were changing radio stations or cassette tapes, and you know they were just jamming out and cruising. Well, I'm the guy who would be on a racetrack. That's the difference between the typical driver and me. So I have had to learn how to adapt. <laughs> I don't know well, what else to call. It. No, and and let's just say, okay, when we say that things are put in place to control others, and they're controlling me. Controlling others isn't always meant to be a bad thing. And I think that that, again, like we put a moral thing, like sometimes you have to control people out of necessity. Like you said, like, like there is, you know, a greater good for all of this. But at some point you get to evaluate whether conformity is necessary for you, for your authenticity, is it a moral reason? Is it just to make things easier for society? Or, you know, like, what is the reason behind it? And you get to ask the questions. You get to discover what lights you up. Because, you know, like, non-monogamy has been a thing for all of history. That's All of history. If you look at the Old Testament, polygamy was normal. I mean, King Solomon had yes. 300 wives and 700 concubines, of course, yes. basically, that were useless to nobody else because they are defiled now because they've slept with the king. So they're not virgins anymore. They're not marriable. Right. But that was A-OK because King Solomon mm-hmm. is considered a man of God. Correct. And so was Samson. Right? It's so like Right? Like, so <laughs> we... We forget that, like, sometimes conformity is just there to help people just have an understanding of, of what to do. But at the end okay, of the so- day, so my my thing is, like, we don't need to just rebel against the system. That's Correct. not what I'm saying. Correct. I'm saying there are other choices. Exactly. Yes. And you get to investigate if those choices are right for you and you don't have to have shame and guilt about them. But you have to be willing to pay the cost to be different. Yes. Yes. Okay? And so like 
let's go back to real quick to the to me driving and having the capability of driving fast. Okay. Just because I have those skills does not mean that I should be out there setting an example no. for those drivers who do not have those skills. 100%. So I do conform to the roadway within the parameters of the roadway to facilitate a safe roadway. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I am 100% in agreement with you, which is why I don't necessarily say I'm a lifestyle coach or a swinger coach or whatever, because for right. me, I'm more of an authenticity coach. I want you to be empowered and to be authentic to who you are. And if that means that you are monogamous and choose monogamy, then that is 100% what I want for you. I don't want you to just do something different just to rebel against the system. Right. You can you consciously right. choose how you want to live your life and where control gets difficult and where control gets bad, let's say, is when you, the only way to gain control and to keep control is to create shame and guilt about not conforming. And and I'm going to jump in here real quick. And that's done because they don't have an argument for why you shouldn't. Right. Okay. And what you are presenting is have a reason understand what you're doing so you have an informed decision yes okay and, let's and look so that at goes all over. the reasons where conforming isn't necessarily always the best way because if That's you're correct. not if you're not made for that like for me i felt like something was wrong with me my whole life because i have this ability to love many people and i mm-hmm. always was that person watching a movie if there was like a triad of some sort where she loved two different men and she had to choose at the end of the movie like i would sob because i was like it's not fair why does Somebody she have to choose with- the one person yeah. when she loves both of them and they both yeah. somebody like- goes home with a broken heart Yeah. And I was like, that's so wrong. Why does that have to be? Why is that the way we, but I had never heard of non-monogamy. Right. I had never heard of polyamory. Right. The only thing I knew of is polygamy in the Bible. And I was like, surely that's not right. You know, like I've been taught my whole life that's, and that's also not legal. So, you know, so you, you have no options. That that's the way it feels. Right. And so if you don't fit the mold of monogamy where you're not like completely happy just being in a relationship forever and it's fine, like then you're not going to fit somewhere. You're always going to feel like, whoa, what's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me. But I get to say nothing's wrong with you. you. You can't always get exactly what you want. That's not life. But you get to desire what you want to desire. You mm-hmm. get to explore it. You get to fantasize about it. You get to see if that could work. Okay. So let me drop a verse on you so it, I can show you an ap- applicability. Okay? okay. Over in the book of James, it says, be angry and sin not. But the Ecclesiastics prohibit anger because they don't know how to be angry and not create problems. So what we're dealing with then is you can have the desires, you can have these feelings, you can experience yourself as human, but how do you conduct yourself in a, to use non-church words, in an ethical way? Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And that's why I stick to the words ethical non-monogamy as opposed okay. to consensual non-monogamy because they're interchangeable, those words. To me, right. the 
the ethical non-monogamy for me is important because I want us to choose things that aren't just allowed, but that feel ethical in the sense that we aren't being selfish and just looking out for us. Because right. this is this is the proverbial uh, like other spectrum, right? It's like fuck you, world. Talk to the hand because I'm just going to yes. do what I want, and I don't right. agree with that. You know, there's like ultra conforming, and then there's like total rebellion. I like yes. to think there's a happy balance in there where we can yes. get what we want without being assholes to other people and Correct. without having to walk away from everything that we know. There is yes. an ethical, loving way to be honest to be uh-huh. consensual and not be mm-hmm. just like, well, I'm allowed, so I'm going to go do what I want. That's not right. ethical to me. It might be consensual to you, but like if your partner doesn't agree, there's a number of reasons why they might not agree. And if you're just like, well, you can't tell me what to do and I'm just going to go do my own thing. Well, you're probably not a very good partner for one. So so that takes me over to my pursuit of my relationship. Okay which is why I'm looking for women who have the same or similar or so close of concepts of a relationship that they are happy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I don't want to create a situation where there is situational or relational tension mm-hmm. because think of it in uh, scriptural terms. You don't want them unequally yoked. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that creates the tension. If they're equally yoked, then that means that they are so similar to each other in thought that they have camaraderie. Mm -hmm. They feel uh, comfort in their spirit, knowledge within themselves, and they're not jealous of each other. Now, we get into a lot of discussion with the word jealousy, okay? But it allows them, if they are very similar in taste, thoughts, points of view, worldview, all this kind of thing, and they are happy to be with me, then they're like, hell yeah. And I'm like, I'm, and I'm happy for that. Why? And you're not forcing anybody. No, hell no. And, and I think that that's important. Like people could judge you and be like, oh, you know, whatever. If they want to call you a unicorn hunter or whatever terms they want to put on it. You're right. not forcing anybody to... I don't think be in love with you and be in love with your partner. So it's like for you, I'm going to say similar to kitchen table poly is that kitchen table poly allows you to be able to sit at a proverbial kitchen table with everybody that's connected metamors and, and partners, other partners um, and have like the ability to just be friendly and kind and loving to each other. Right. But it doesn't mean that you're all in a relationship together and that you like are all one and connected. Like this idea for us of how marriage is like you're one now and you belong to each other and ownership. Like we have a hard time breaking away from that concept and we bring it in. We take that programming and bring it into open relationships and we can't make sense of it because we have to break down that programming first. We get to strip away, like, what is a relationship to begin with? A relationship is a connection. It's caring for someone. It's seeing someone. It's connecting. It's creating safety for someone, holding space. That's what a relationship is about. And you don't have to belong to someone for that to happen. So if you... Okay, can I I drop a scripture? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm going to use two of them. 
beginning with the idea of where two or three are gathered. Mm -hmm. And then over in John 16 or 17, Jesus, maybe 14, talks about they becoming one. Mm -hmm. Now, in that context, nobody reads that as a sexual union, right? Oh, I always did. Well, this is not how I have ever viewed it. Okay. And it's not because it isn't there, because you can see it that way. But what I'm talking about is he is addressing things in a spiritual fashion mm. because he is talking about being one with the father oh, and the oh, father okay, one yeah, yeah, with yeah. him and things of that nature. So we're talking about on the night of his betrayal, okay, mm. when he's having this uh, dinner with his apostles right. or disciples, rather. So when he's talking about being one there, the context is not inherently focusing on the sensuality right 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 it's and that's why i'm referring it back to your concept of sitting at that table yeah yeah okay. where you're having a union of people and participation but they're also that individuality and they, and when they leave the table they go do their things you go do your things just peter was not paul and paul wasn't even at that that specific dinner he came in later right so you got Thomas there, I think Thomas, but you know, you have Judas there. Judas goes mm-hmm. off and does the dastardly deed that gets mm-hmm. condemned, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the things which take place at the table. And yet they are not Jesus because they can't do what Jesus does, but he's encouraging them to do what he does and that they could achieve the type of things that he has and still be themselves and still be a Jew. And all he so he is as confrontational about uh, paradigm limitations mm-hmm. as you and I are in this discussion. Mm-hmm. And so we're just taking it and we're moving it into an applicable life reality mm-hmm. and going, how do we navigate it? Rea- realizing that we are human and to use a vulgar phrase, we don't really want to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right because at the end of the day i'm tired of being hurt and i don't want to hurt other people what the fuck am i supposed to do with this and myself <laughs> so and i think like again back to the expectations right like i even mentioned yesterday on last week's podcast expectations uh one of my guests once said are premeditated disappointments yes they are assumptions right and yes. so if all you have is expectations of what relationships should look like, and you don't have any of your own worldview laid out, what design do you want? And what is allowed? And what can I pick and choose from? This is why I like... Am I, I even allowed? Myself, yeah, this is why I call myself a relationship designer. Because it's like, we get to like pick and choose what works for us. Pick the color palette that works for us. So like, maybe you want to be a swinger. Maybe you want to be polyamorous. They're very different things. Very oh, different, yeah. right? Uh-huh. They don't they don't even have the same quote unquote rules or etiquettes. Like it's completely different. But people who are swingers will say they're poly, or you know, people who are open will say, Oh, I'm poly. Well, you do you don't understand that necessarily right. because polyamory involves like a, a connection with someone uh-huh. where there's love involved. What I love about poly and and what I aspire to with poly is I don't have to limit my connection with someone 
and take it to the degree of what flows naturally. Right. I don't have to go and define it and be like, oh, well, now we're like partners. And so we have to see each other like once a week and we get it. It's like, I'm happy to just let it flow how it can be. And I'm also, I get to say, okay, so I have a primary partner and that takes up a lot of time because I am an entrepreneur. That takes up a lot of time. I have a child that still lives at home. My partner has his own children. There's limited time. And we also have our own lives and and friends and activities that we want to do. So like, I don't have the time or the freedom to go and spend a ton of time with another partner. Okay. So so can I jump in here real quick? Sure. Because what you're talking about is volitional decisions Mm -hmm. and knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. So when you're sitting here knowing yourself and that you want to spend part of your life doing this, part of your life doing the other thing, part of your life doing this, you have to make informed decisions, which means that you are aware that your time for certain things changes. So when I'm talking about myself, I am a completely different style of guy. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who stays home. Mm-hmm. I am the one who takes care of the domestic side of the situation. We do share tasks, roles. Sometimes she picks up where I slack off. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't feel like cooking tonight. Will you help me? You know, that kind of thing. But I'm the one who primarily makes the decisions about dinners and laundry and cleanliness and things of that nature, right? And so that doesn't effeminize my situation. It just means I'm the one managing the house. It's a role you chose. Yes, because of what I want to facilitate in my relationship, not only with my lady, but the ladies I want. So these are things that I have to present to them and help them understand and paint this picture. Mm -hmm. So if this is what they conceptualize as a possible relationship, then they can pursue the examination of that and then they can make the choice. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that, and that's, I think a lot of people approach things with a scarcity mindset. And so that's where we feel like you're we're forcing a situation because somehow we have taken that programming that says your relationship determines your worth. Well, that was quite a conversation, wasn't it? Are you excited to hear part two where we talk about designing your relationships in a way that is ethical and conscious for you? We have lots more to talk about, so come back next week to hear the rest of the story and how polyamory fits into the story. Oh, I also thought you might want to know the name of that book that I forgot. (laughs) I couldn't think of the name. It's called Unprotected Texts, The Bible's Surprising Contradictions About Sex and Desire by Jennifer Wright Nust. So I'll put the link in the show notes for you if you're interested in reading it. I highly recommend it. It's a great book. So what did you learn today? Did you relate to this experience? How many of you have left your faith or questioned your deep-rooted beliefs? If so, I'd love to know who you are. DM me or let us know in the Facebook group. I'm here for you. It is not an easy journey. There is a lot to figure out. If you are ready to really shift that deep-rooted programming, 
I'm your girl. My eight-week program, Breaking Free from Conformity, is definitely for you. So check it out. Book a call with me and we can talk about if this is a good fit for you. I had you in mind when I designed this program. It really is my desire to help people that are struggling through this process and really want to break free sexually and in their relationships. You will learn to question what you've always known in a comfortable way. I want to help you avoid the pain, the anguish, confusion, and loneliness that I went through as I weeded through my beliefs, expectations, and judgments about relationships and sexuality. So join me and break free from the shame that's holding you back from your deepest authenticity and truest version of yourself. Let's do this together. I am here to help you thrive, not just live. I want the best for you. So as I always say, when it comes to sex positivity, authenticity is the key. Love you all, and I will see you next week with part two. So come back next week. Do you feel like you've been sold a fairy tale when it comes to sex and love? Why isn't it working? Why am I not fulfilled or satisfied? Why do I have a deep longing for more? Maybe you've had some of these thoughts. Did you know it's not your fault? That's right. You've been brainwashed since childhood with disempowering beliefs about sex and relationships. This is known as the mono mindset. If you're tired of feeling stuck, you're ready for Breaking Free from Conformity, the eight-week program where you will learn how the mono mindset has set you up for failure in relationships, why you think of sex as wrong or taboo, why you judge yourself, you will finally learn how to have empowered relationships with confidence and success. Many of my clients have said, Kareen, I didn't know I had choices. I thought I needed a partner to feel complete. I thought I was supposed to suppress my desires to have a successful relationship. What if you could learn to love yourself and your desires without guilt? Well, you can. With Breaking Free from Conformity, the eight-week program, shifting the subconscious programming that is keeping you stuck. It's not your fault. You weren't given a choice. It's time to break free and start living your life. To register, go to offers.kareenbedard.com forward slash BFFC for breaking free from conformity. I can't wait for you to find ultimate freedom and create an empowered relationship for yourself. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Kareen Bedard Coaching, and you can visit my website at kareenbedard.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a like and share it with your friends. I'd be so grateful if you could help by giving us a five-star review on Podchaser or iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list to be kept up to date about upcoming episodes and exciting news. Just visit our website at breakingfreeauthentically.com and scroll down to subscribe. You can also email me anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Send your messages and questions to kareen at kareenbedard.com. Are you a part of my Facebook community yet? Join us in Breaking Free Authentically. It's where you will find this sex-positive relationship community. I'd be thrilled to have you be a part of this community with me. All the links will be in the show notes, so don't forget to check it out. 
Remember, when it comes to sex positivity, authenticity is the key. Have a great week.